Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. This week we are continuing our series through the book of James and focusing in on one of the most controversial passages in the New Testament. Faith without works is dead. Follow along as we explore what James is saying and what he's not saying by this phrase. Ultimately, he wants us to know the kind of life that should describe our faith. We hope you enjoy this message. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Again, welcome to Fellowship Greenville Student Ministries. Yeah, uh, my name is Matt Dinsky. I'm the student ministry pastor here. I'm so excited to be here with you. Why? Because I love you guys and I believe in your generation. I think God loves you guys and believes in your generation as well. Uh, I want you guys to know that you have a place to belong and you are loved here in this room. So thank you so much for coming tonight and you've chosen a really, really great night to come. Uh, We have been going through the book of James. It's really a letter written by this guy named James, and he's writing to early believers, early Christians when this whole movement was going on, uh, when it first started. James is the brother of Jesus. He literally grew up at home with Jesus, and so he got the inside scoop on what Jesus was like at home. But interestingly, as you guys probably know by now, James did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. When he was growing up, James didn't think that Jesus was God. James thought Jesus was kind of crazy. James thought, man, this dude's out there. Like, my brother's just such a weirdo. It wasn't until the death and resurrection of Jesus that we see James kind of begin to place his faith in his brother as Messiah. This was God in the flesh and and started believing him. James became a leader in the early church and eventually began to write this letter to early Christians who were experiencing persecution for their faith. Uh, Mainly in the city of Jerusalem, they were being beaten, threatened, killed, economically persecuted, targeted, all because of their faith in Jesus. And so the city of Jerusalem had kind of this mass exodus of Christians, and they're on the run, they're in hiding, and James picks up paper and pen and begins to write a letter to those people, encouraging them in the faith and giving them some action steps in the faith and reminding them of the amazing truths of the gospel and the faith of Jesus Christ. And so we've been going through this letter together, the letter of James to those who say we believe in Jesus. And you guys have come on a good night. Uh, if, you're, if you're just joining us or if you're regular or whatever, you've come on a great night because we are navigating through, I think, uh, a very difficult passage of Scripture tonight. This is the most debated passage of Scripture <laughs> for thousands of years. There has been much controversy around this passage of scripture. And theologians go back and forth about it. They debate it. People debate its meaning. People debate what's happening. Uh, In fact, some of the earliest uh, church fathers, like earliest leaders in the movement of Christianity, desired that this actually not be included in the New Testament whatsoever. Because it's so hard to wrestle with. So if you think about it, pray for your boy, Toss a a quick one up for your boy uh, as we navigate a very difficult, thick passage of scripture that has been largely debated and misunderstood, maybe misapplied um, and argued about. So no pressure on me tonight at all, but hopefully uh, we'll get through it and hopefully you walk out of here feeling encouraged, challenged, stirred up in the faith and closer to Jesus than you ever have before. So we've been navigating through this letter and we've been approaching this letter as kind of like James is a spiritual dad. Why have we been approaching it that way? Because he's a leader in the church and he's writing to followers of Jesus as if they are his spiritual children, his dear sons and daughters in the faith. And so if you can imagine it's Saturday morning, you slept in a bit, you came downstairs, you walk in the kitchen, you smell food, someone made bacon, someone made pancakes, banana pancakes, hashtag Jack Johnson, and and you smell it all, it smells fantastic. And over in the corner is Papa James, Father James. And he's sitting there and he sees you. Oh, welcome. Come on, come on. It's that time of the week. It's time for dad advice with James. And he welcomes you in. He's got a plate ready for you. The coffee's steaming. And you sit down and James begins to pour some wisdom into your life. We've been approaching every week as kind of this chunk of advice from Father James. James's dad advice to his spiritual children. And so this week, same deal, we're approaching 
Dadvice with James, the advice that he wants to give us tonight as a father in the faith is this, that actions speak louder than words. Now, you've probably heard that saying before. You've probably heard it long before tonight because it's actually a really popular saying in our culture. But James, I believe, would sit us down and say, hey, hey, in life and in the faith especially, there's a lot of people who talk. There's a lot of people who who make claims. There's a lot of people who say this and that. But I just want you to know, anyone can talk, but actions speak louder than words. In life and in faith, anyone can say something, but if you want to know who the real ones are, look at their actions, not just what they say. This applies to life, and it certainly applies to faith as well. This is Dadvice with James tonight. So you may be wondering, Matt, what is the controversy? Or if you're in the room and you're British, what is the controversy tonight? Shout out to my British brothers and sisters. If you're in the room and you're like, why is there so much tension around this passage? We're going to be in the second half of James chapter two, verses 14 through 26. And this is the tension. If you look in your Bible you see a little heading above that passage, you'll see something that might say faith without works is dead or something along those lines. And the tension surrounding this passage is this, that for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, believe in Jesus, maybe have have come to church a couple of times, maybe have grown up in the South because it's pretty cultural, for those of us who have been in the circles long enough, you might have come to understand the gospel as this, I'm going to give you a very simple definition of what the gospel is. This is what we believe the gospel is. Let's go ahead and throw it up on the screen. The gospel is you are saved by the grace of God through faith in God. That's a very, very simple idea of what the gospel is. Literally, gospel means good news. When we say the gospel of Jesus, we're talking about the good news of Jesus. Why is it good news? Because a very simple understanding of the gospel is this, that you are saved by the grace of God through faith in God. And that is good news. And if you've ever heard me preach about this before, whether it's at Epic or here on a Sunday night or somewhere, or you've ever heard anyone talk about the gospel in this way, this is what the gospel is. You are saved. You have received salvation By the grace of God, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, his love, favor poured on you because of your faith in him. And you might have heard me or others who preach on this say something like, it was nothing to do with what you did. And that's true. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't stack up enough good works. You couldn't do enough good things in this life and come before God and say, look how much good I've done. And God's like, wow, you've earned the salvation. That's not how it works. You can't do enough, say enough, be enough. You can't obey the Ten Commandments well enough. You can't pray enough. You can't memorize enough scripture. You can't earn or work enough to actually receive salvation. That's not the gospel. The message of the Bible is overwhelmingly clear that the gospel is you are saved, you have received salvation by the grace of God, everything to do with his working, what he's accomplished, what he did by putting your faith in God. That's the gospel. Amen? But here's the controversy. It's what the gospel says. But James would come in and he would say this. Yeah, but faith without works is dead. And so all of a sudden you have this, 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 this tension because the gospel is you've been saved by the grace of God, by faith in God. You can't work for salvation. It's all about God's grace and your faith in him. You can't work for it. James would come in and say, yeah, 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 yeah. But faith without works is dead. It's not faith. And the gospel comes in and says, no, 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 but but, but, but you can't work. Faith is not works. Faith is, is, is receiving the grace of God. And James would come in and say, yeah, but that faith is dead if there's no works. And the gospel would come back in and say, no, but, 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 but you've received salvation by God's grace through faith in him. You, you don't have to earn this. And James is like, yeah, you're right, you don't earn it. But that faith that you're claiming is dead without works. 
And it just goes back and forth. And that's why there's so much heated debate around this passage that we're about to talk about because James explicitly says, faith without works is dead. And remember, this is not some like, far off dude who just picked up a pen and was like, I think I'll write a Bible book today. Like this is the brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. Arguably, if there's anyone who has clearer insight into the heart of Jesus, it would be James because he grew up with him. In fact, the whole letter of James is an echo chamber of Jesus's teaching on earth. You can literally read James 1 through 5 and, and just see where Jesus has taught this in the Gospels. And James is just echoing and reminding us of what Jesus taught. And so the message of the Gospel is you can't work for this thing. It's all about God's grace and your faith. And James says, yeah, right, but, but, but faith without works is dead faith. And so there's this huge, heated, thousands of years debate going on about why would James say this? Because this doesn't sound like the gospel. And so there's all these different camps that have been created. Well, I think it means this. And I think it means that. And there's all sorts of back and forth. And so tonight, we're going to navigate this passage. And hopefully, by God's grace and God's spirit, he'll give us insight into what I think James wants us to walk away with. You ready? Three people? Come on, guys. A silent church. There we go. Silent church is typically a dead church. Are you ready? Good. All right. So here's where I think part of the tension lies or, or, or the misunderstanding or why people have such a hard time with this. I think a lot of it lies in definitions and vocabulary and understanding. All right. So um, let me give you an example. Uh, a number of years ago, <laughs> at a different church, not here. A number of years ago, I preached uh, a series. <laughs> I look back on it and laugh now. But I preached a series called How Not to Get into Heaven. And I thought it was a pretty funny title at the time. And like it was um, like uh, provocative and, and we were talking about, um, you know, kind of, I don't know, we were trying to be a little provocative and stuff. But one of the messages in that series was titled and bear with me, because I'm going to explain it. But one of the messages in that series was titled, Faith in Jesus Does Not Save You. It was the title of the message. Okay? Now, as you can imagine, that's kind of like a, wait a minute, dude. That's like entirely wrong. And how are you a pastor? And how are you still preaching? And we titled that message that. And, and I remember when I was interviewing for my job here at Fellowship, my boss, Rob Marks, uh, had a question for me. He said, hey man, I was combing through some of your old sermons on the podcast from your other student ministry. Uh, I couldn't help but come across this one sermon in particular titled, Faith in Jesus Does Not Save You. Uh, believe it or not, we think faith in Jesus does save you. So can you help me understand like, what, what you were talking about in that sermon? I said, sure man, I'd be happy to help you understand um, and, I, and I knew what he was asking, and thankfully he listened to it, and in the context of the, of the sermon as a whole, it made sense. But my whole premise in that sermon was that our understanding of the word faith has been hijacked. In other words, our definition of the word faith has become this, this one thing that's different than how the biblical authors think about the word faith. Now, I know you won't believe this. This is going to be shocking to you, but the Bible was not written by Gen Z for Gen Z. I know that's shocking, okay? I know, I know. It was actually written a few thousand years ago. And so one of the things we have to understand is the words they use and the way they're using them matter. And the way that the biblical authors use the word faith or synonymous with belief means certain things. It has certain impl implications that our American culture doesn't entirely adopt. And so here's what I mean. In American Christianity, faith is typically defined like this. Belief that God is real, right? Like if you were to ask someone, hey, do you have faith in God? What, what they're kind of hearing is, 
Oh, do I believe God is real? Yeah, I have faith in God. I think God's real, for sure. I think God exists. I mean, people, we, we're, this is the South, all right? It's not just South, it's South. You know what I mean? Like there's an extra syllable in there. And in the South, this is Bible Belt Christianity. You could talk to most people in our area and ask them, do you think God is real? And they'd say, yeah, I, I, th- I think God is real. Because culturally, we've been taught that there is such a thing as a God. In fact, when I was 16 years old and I didn't believe in Jesus and I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, I still had this cultural understanding that God was real. And my conversation with my youth pastor at the time in seeking truth and answers, I led it this way. I said, hey, Scott, I've been baptized when I was young and I think God is real. What does that mean for me? Most people in American Christianity, when they think about the word faith, they define it this way. Faith means that God is real or that God exists, right? Most people you interact with, hey, do you have faith in God? What, do I think he's real? Yeah, of course. But that's not how the biblical authors thought about the word faith. It, it's not this this literal idea of God's existence. And it's certainly not a cerebral approach of like, I think God is real. I believe he exists. That's a cerebral approach. In fact, I've, I've taught on this before, but in the entire New Testament, there is no word for brain. Like the way that Jesus taught and the way that New Testament authors teach about belief in God, it's not just brain belief. Like I think God is real. Logically, we can deduce that. It's not just brain belief. It's the wholeness of our entire entity responds in belief. So not just here, but heart, hands, actions, life, all of it encompasses belief or faith. But culturally, we tend to think faith means that we believe God is real. He exists, right? Right? Okay. Thank you, guys. But biblically, the word faith has a different definition. If we're talking the biblical understanding and the biblical authors and the way they use the idea of faith and belief, this is how the the writers of the Bible understood faith in its definition. Faith is belief that God is real and responding to him in obedience. That's a biblical way of understanding faith. Is it believing that God exists? Yes, it would be hard to have faith in in something you don't think is real. So the first half of that definition is still true. Faith is, I believe God is real and I respond to him in obedience. Those two together are how the biblical authors think about the idea of faith. Nowhere in the scriptures is faith taught like, hey, just believe in your brain that a divine being exists somewhere in a realm that you can't see. It's not ever taught that way. It's belief in this this divine being who desires a relationship with us and responding to that belief in obedience to that being. That's the biblical concept of faith. But culturally, we've lost that idea. Culturally, we just kind of think faith means God exists, right? And that's a half-finished definition. Biblically speaking, faith always points to belief in God and responding in obedience. Notice, it's still nothing to do with earning or working for anything. You're responding to God. You're responding to the salvation you're experiencing. Faith is belief that God is real and responding to God. Or let me put it, let me put it this way. Some of you guys know I have um, back pain and back issues. Amen. Some, <laughs> I see Nathan Sheehan in the back, giving an amen. My back pain people in the room. Yes, I have lower back pain sometimes. And, uh, and it, it, it was a training accident back in 2008, but it, it kind of created a new reality for me to where my lower back can sometimes get triggered and I become immobile and it gets locked up and seized and I can't walk. Well, a few years ago, I had one of these moments where I had a really bad, like, uh, my back slipped out and I had three bulging discs and I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't stand up straight. To, to move from seated to standing took about 10 minutes. 
I mean, every movement was just wincing pain. I couldn't, I couldn't stand up straight. I was, I was like hobbling around. It was really pitiful. Um, I went to Goodwill and got like an old man thing and like, you know what I mean? So I can put all my weight on it. But in this one particular time, I went to this um, specialist, like this, this type of specialty, specialty doctor. And he began to work with me and, and kind of relieve a lot of the pain over the course of a few weeks, different stretches and, and pressure points and things like that. But part of the package that I had to go through was physical therapy within, within his office. And I had done physical therapy in the past and I never really felt like it was that effective. So I was kind of like, oh, okay. But this particular, um, the girl that was putting me through physical therapy, when they got me mobile and I was able to move again and kind of stand normal, she put me through a number of tests and she was testing my stability and my flexibility and my agility and all these other abilities. And, and, uh, and she came to me and she said, hey, just looking at you, it looks like you have very good posture. And I was like, oh, thank you. And she said, but you don't. And I was like, oh, she said, I think you're achieving your posture by overextending your lumbar. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, your spine, the very top of your spine, like your upper back, is called your thoracic spine or your T-spine. And the bottom is your lumbar. And she said, you're achieving correct posture, like your straight and upright back, by overflexing your lumbar. You're extending it too much. You're tightening it. It's just constantly in a state of being tightened. She said, what you need to do, we actually need to retrain your posture, which I know doesn't sound that uh, difficult, but when you've, when you, for years, when you've just let your skeleton kind of settle into this way of being neutral, it's very hard. It takes conscious decision every second to retrain it. And what we ended up having to do was I had to learn how to relieve the tension in my lumbar by rotating my pelvic bone forward, like consciously thinking, okay, rotate my pelvic bone forward. And then my thoracic spine, I had to bring up and back to achieve the same exact posture, but I was working different things to get there. So before I went to the specialist, if you were to look at me, you'd say he has good posture, but internally it was a mess. It was messing up all sorts of things and creating triggers for my back to spasm. And I had to relearn how to align my skeleton in different ways to essentially achieve the same exact look, but internally it was all different. I had to unlearn and relearn, but on the outside you wouldn't see much difference. And I think what James is doing is he is playing some, some vocabulary retraining with people who have fallen into the trap of thinking, you think faith means God exists. And on the outside, it kind of looks a certain way and you look fine. Oh, you have faith in God. That's amazing. But if we were to look inside, there's all sorts of things out of alignment and there's problems happening and it spills out in your life every now and then. And James is saying, I want you to achieve faith in God, but I want you to know how this is actually defined. I want you to know what it really means, and I want to realign some things. And you may not notice that much of a difference on the outside, but the inside is about to experience a whole different set of alignment. James is helping us by rallying us around the idea of vocabulary. If you think faith means God exists, you're half correct, but you're missing a whole part of it. Faith means, biblically speaking, the authors of the Bible want us to know, faith means God exists and we respond to his presence in obedience because we love him and we're loved by him. That's faith. And so there might be some in here tonight whose faith needs to be kind of realigned. You need to adjust this and, and tweak that and, 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 and you're achieving kind of a similar outcome, but inside you're, you're moving things around. James is inviting us into this hard work of unlearning certain words and retraining ourselves to learn correct posture of these words. So let's jump into our controversial passage tonight. Verse 14, James says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What good does it do you for you to say, I believe in God, but you don't have any evidence to actually back that claim up? What good is it if someone says, I have faith, but does not have works? Can that faith 
save him. He's asking rhetorically, but he's filling in the blank with his implication. No, it cannot. This is why this is so heated. It's because it's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. But faith does save you. Faith is, is, is salvation. We believe in God. We receive his grace. We have faith in God. And James is saying, again, can that faith save you if it doesn't produce works? Nope. And that's why people are like, oh, we don't like this passage. What is James saying? But bear with me. James is in line with the gospel. He's just approaching it with some retraining. He wants us to correct some things. So he uses an example, verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, hey, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what benefit is that? What good is that? James says, man, if you're, if you're downtown, you're walking downtown and you see someone and they are clearly in need and their clothes are worn out and it's winter time and they're freezing and they're hungry and they're emaciated because they haven't had enough food and you can see their ribs poking through and you go up to them and you say, hey, brother, <laughs> be warm, be filled. God bless you, brother. <laughs> He's so good, ain't he? And you walk away. James says, what good did it do that person? And I don't know if you've ever met Christians like this, but I have, where they will see someone starving and, and, and thirsting and freezing, and they'll walk up to them and hand them like a fake, like $100 bill. You know what I'm talking about? You ever find these in the parking lots? It looks like a $100 bill, and then you open it, and it's actually like a track, and it presents the gospel to you. And it starts out, it says, disappointed, don't be, because the good news, and it's like, what? No one's ever seen these? Yeah. Oh, some of you have, some of you haven't. They're like, I know Nathan Sheehan hates tracks. Nathan, you say when you find tracks, you throw them in the trash can, which is hilarious, but they're called tracks, and people pass them out as evangelistic tools. I'm just gonna leave these all over the place, and it looks like money, and people pick them up, and then they read the gospel. <laughs> I think we might meet one person in heaven who's ever found faith through a track, all right? They're not effective. They're not effective any longer. Maybe they had their heyday in the 80s. I don't know. I, I just can't imagine, I can't imagine a poor, starving, thirsty person receiving fake money and opening it up and being like, well, at least I heard the good news. I think I'll believe in Jesus. Like, Jesus oftentimes met people's physical needs and then met their spiritual needs in tandem. And James is saying, you claim faith. You say, man, I believe in God. And yet you walk by someone in deep need and you look at that person and you say, hey, be blessed. God is good. All the, hey, all the time, brother, all the time. God is good. Hey, sorry you're starving, but be blessed, brother. James is saying, what good does your faith do if it does nothing for others around you? What good is your faith if it doesn't produce works? In the context of what James is talking about, he's talking about love for others. Earlier in chapter two, he starts talking about the law, love God and love others. And so he's still in that context. He's like, how can you claim faith, but your faith doesn't manifest in love for others? Because love for others would produce a burden to help those in need. Why? Because God helped those in need when he was on earth. How can you claim faith in a God who modeled this, and then your faith in God doesn't produce this in you? James is saying it, that it doesn't work like that. Your faith can't say God exists, but produce no good works out of that. No responding in obedience to what you claim. James says, so also faith by itself, verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And you can feel the gravity of what he's saying and why this is so controversial and why people have wrestled over this passage because it's like, but wait, the gospel is not about works. It's about faith. Yes and amen. But faith is not just belief that God exists. It's belief that God exists and responding in obedience to his love. How do we respond to God's love? We love him back and we love others around us. 
the greatest two commandments. That's what the New Testament spearhead teaching is over and over again. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. And James is saying, if you claim faith that you love God, there should be evidence of a love for others. That faith should have legs. There should be works. There should be something that is evidence that God is working in your heart and has redeemed you from the pit and that you are spilling that love over into those around you. Verse 18, James says this, but someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. In other words, someone will be like, James, buddy, like, <laughs> you're a works guy. That's cool for you, man. I'm a faith person. That's, that's how I go about it. I don't like to get my hands dirty. That's you, and we love that, but I'm more of a just like faith person. You know what I mean? Just like believe in God and go to church, but I don't want to like serve people. That's you, buddy. James is saying, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. James is saying, no, 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 no. I'm a faith person too. I'm not a works person. I'm a faith person. But I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll show you my faith because I love people. I'll show you my faith in God because I'll feed the hungry person. I'll show you my faith in God because I'll give a blanket to a freezing person in the name of Jesus. I'll show you my faith in God because I'll give water to a thirsty person in the name of Jesus. I do have faith in God, but it manifests itself in how I love those around me. That's what James's argument is. In other words, if you say you have faith, but it doesn't spill out into love, loving actions, then what good is your faith? You believe, look at this, verse 19. You believe that God is one. Good job. You do well. Guess who else believes? Even the demons believe and shudder. James is saying like, you claim that God is real? Again, what's the American definition of faith? God exists, right? James is saying, yeah, good job. You know who else believes that God exists? Demons. It's like, Dang, James, like, somebody give this man some decaf today. That man is taking shots. Yeah, you claim that God is real? Cool, good. You know who else, you know who else believes that? Satan. He says, they believe and they shudder. Literally, like, the, the hairs on their arms stand up and tingle. Anyone ever seen Lion King, like old school Lion King, cartoon Lion King? That scene where the hyenas are like, uh, say it again. And it's like, Mufasa. And they're like, ooh, say it again. Mufasa, ooh. That's what James is talking about. Yo, the demons believe, and they, ooh, God. They shudder, but they know God is real. James is pointing us to this hard but necessary truth that if all faith is in your mind is that God exists, that he is real, James is saying, guys, but that's not faith. Faith is belief in God's existence and response to God in obedience. Because faith entails a radical being. I, I'm loved by God and I love God back and I spill that love out on others around. I can't help but do that because of my faith in God. Because we've experienced salvation. James is saying if your faith ends at the knowledge that God is real, that's the same kind of faith that demons have. They know God's real and they shudder. They are scared of God. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now, James launches into two examples, two Old Testament examples, because remember, he's, he's writing to Christians in Jerusalem, primarily a Jewish audience, who have been steeped in the Old Testament. And so he uses two examples to show that faith was never by itself a cerebral approach to God. It was always in tandem with a response to God. I believe in God and respond in obedience. That's faith. I believe in God and respond in obedience. That's faith. And he uses two examples to prove this. He says, all right, do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So if you go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 22, God speaks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. And it's kind of like, Ooh, what is happening? What is this passage about? And God is inviting Abraham into this monumental moment of trust and faith. Now, ultimately, Abraham 
God spared Abraham's son, Isaac, because of Abraham's faith. Abraham, uh, God was pulling Abraham into this deeper relationship of, do you trust me? Do you believe in me? Do you have faith in me? You do? Great. Let me see it. Let me see it. Let me see it. And James is using this example. Was not Abraham the father of the Jews? Was not Abraham justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. So you see that faith was active all along by his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he called God a friend. So you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, there might, there might have been some in the room who'd be like, well, James, that's kind of an unfair example, bro. Like Abraham is like the father of our race. Like literally, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons, Father Abraham. Yeah, like, and I am one of them. And, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Yeehaw, right on. All right. So there might have been some in the room to say, James, I mean, okay, dude, you pulled the ace right away. Like, Father Abraham, yeah, he, great story. But come on, dude, he's the father of the Jews. Of course he had faith. So then James is like, all right, fine. I'll use an unlikely candidate. Let's go to someone that you would not suspect to be justified by works because of their faith. Let's go to a prostitute who's not a Jewish woman who lives in a land far away from anyone having to do with God. And let's see how she responded to God. And so he used the story of Rahab. Look at verse 25. He says, in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. If you're unfamiliar with the story, in the Old Testament, there are some spies, Jewish spies, who are scouting out a city. And they kind of get caught by this woman. And she's scandalous. She's, she's a woman of the city. She she sells sex for a living. And what does she do? She could easily turn them in and probably be rewarded by the king of the city. But instead, she fears their God and says, would you spare me as well when, God, when God's judgment comes upon the city? And she hides the spies in her house while other people are looking for them. And because of her faith in God, it was seen through her works and she was justified or made right with God by her faith, and her faith was evident by her works. And so, Ab so James is like, all right, if you don't like the Abraham example, let me go to the other end of the spectrum, so to speak, and use a most unlikely candidate. Here's this woman who's, who's not part of the Jewish race, and she, she's only heard about God through reputation, and she's a prostitute, and she has everything to lose and nothing to gain, and yet by her faith in God, it's evident in her works in God for God. And James says, she was justified by works when she received the messengers. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So this is a, a thick passage, a difficult passage. So here's what I want to clear up. I want to clarify some things. Is James saying that we have to work for our salvation. No. As clear as I can say it, as explicitly as I can say it, no, James is not saying that, nor do I think he believes that. What James is saying is that real faith, true faith in God, always results in responding to that faith or responding to God, typically through loving others, serving others. That's what James is saying. And so there might be some that say, yeah, but Matt, we're, we're saved by faith alone. James would say, yeah, you are. But make sure that that faith doesn't just mean you think God exists, that that faith is actually responding to God in obedience. Yeah, but Matt, we don't earn salvation. James is not saying you do. He's simply saying that if you truly have salvation, the overflow of the love of God will spill out in your life and there will be evidence. People will know that you are a Christian based on how you live. Why? Because the dad vice this week is actions speak louder than words. Anybody can claim to be a Christian. Anybody can say, yeah, I believe in God. I have faith in God. But actions speak louder than words. In other words, what, what James is holding up in front of us is, 
hey, if I, were to, if I were to visit your schools, if James were alive today, if he were in the room today, and he were to say, if I were to like visit your schools and I were to ask about you, and I were to say, hey, is that person a Christian? What would the other students at your school say? And why? If I, were to go to your, if I were to go to your friend groups, like your closest circle, and I were to ask them, hey, you know your friend? Are they a Christian? What would they say about you? And why? Why would they say that? If I were to go to your family, if I were to like be invited over for dinner, and I were to raise this question around the dinner table, and I was to say, hey, is your son or is your daughter a Christian? What's your family say about that? And why? James is saying, look, if you have faith in God, it should be so evident in your life that your faith is real. If you have faith in God, there should be absolutely no, like people should be able to look at your life and be like, dude, there is so much going on there. Look at how God is working in that person. They love other people. They serve other people. They are responding to salvation. James is saying faith without works is dead. If there's nothing coming from your faith, then James is pointing to your faith and saying, I'm not sure you understand like what this faith is about. A few weeks ago, we had a fish that died. <laughs> I don't know why you laughed at that right away, man. That's pretty jacked up. <laughs> you have a fish. I do have a fish. His name, was, his name was Cool Blue. His name was Cool Blue. Guess what color he was? Blue. <laughs> no, he was blue. Go Sasa. And, uh, and he died. And, you know, it's one of those interesting things. It's like, oh, man, do we just, like, do we not tell the kids? And, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those conversations. Like, no, like, death is good for them. They, they need to know how the world works. Like, ultimately, it's good in the long run. How do we approach this? So I did what any decent human being would do. I, I gave them a toilet burial. And, uh, yeah, like, one final ride into the ocean. And... You guys are acting like that's inhumane. Don't act like you never flushed the fish before. And, uh, and so I talked to my kids about it. And they were like, oh, okay. And they were like un unscathed by it. They weren't bothered at all. But imagine, imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment if Cool Blue is in his little tank and he's clearly dead. Anyone ever have a, a fish die on him? Yeah, you know what happens? They like kind of turn on their side a little bit. And that white fuzz starts to grow on them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He was only dead for a few months, Evie. Like, give me a break. <laughs> and he's kind of, he's kind of on their side. That white fuzz is growing on them. But can you imagine? Can you imagine if I had come to my kids and been like, guys, we still have a fish. Look at Cool Blue. He learned a new trick. Can you imagine how jacked up that would be? I know, it would be terrible. But what if I would claim that? Guys, we still have a fish, don't fret, he's still a fish. A few months go by, he becomes encased in the white fuzz, like you can't even see his fins anymore. And I'm like, guys, don't worry, he's still a fish, we have a fish. Gray, did you feed him? You did? Great, we have a fish. <laughs> Gotta change his water. A few more months go by and uh, you see a little skeleton maybe floating. I don't know if they deteriorate at that pace. I don't know. But I'm still telling the kids, he's doing great. Look at Cool Blue. He's hiding in the plant. Look at him. He's so shy. Tap, tap, tap. <laughs> technically, technically, we do still have a fish. Technically. But you would look at me and you'd be like, oh, dude, that's not okay at all. That's like not how this works. This is like traumatizing to these kids, man. But technically, we had a fish. But you would say, but dude, your fish is dead. No, I know. I know he's dead. But he, we still have a fish. Look at him. Yeah, but that, I mean, it's, it's a fish, but that's not a fish, bro. That's not how it works. No, he is a fish. I know what a fish is. The gills and everything. 
Yeah, but he's, he's, he, he's dead. Yeah, but he's in there. I know, but he's dead. Yeah, but he's still in the water. I know, but he's dead. Yeah, but we still put pellets in there. Yeah, but he doesn't eat them. I know, but he's still a fish. I know, but he's dead. <laughs> this, is, this is the argument that James is trying to provoke in us. That, 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 that if we treat our faith the same way, it doesn't make sense. And yet, when it comes to our faith, that's exactly how so many people treat it. Hey man, I, it, it just doesn't seem like you're pursuing a relationship with God. I know, but I have faith. I, I know, but it, it, it just doesn't seem like it's alive. I know, but I have faith. I know, but it, 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 it just doesn't seem like you're allowing the spirit to work in your life. I know, but I have faith. I know, man, I, but I just don't see like much fruit. I don't see much evidence. Like, I don't see you responding to the spirit and when he convicts you and the life you're living doesn't seem to line up with, with the things Christ taught. I know, but I have faith. I hear you. I'm just struggling to wrap my mind around like, how? I have faith. I, I, I get that. But like, I just don't see, I just don't see the vibrancy. Like, do you know that God loves you? I have faith. Okay, are you responding to God's love by loving him in return? I have faith. I know, but like, oh man, you're such a jerk to everyone around you. Like, you don't feel stirred up to love others or to help others or to serve. I have faith. Okay, but this just doesn't feel like, you'd look at me and my fish and be like, dude, that is like crazy weird. And yet we treat our faith that way. And James is saying, hey, I love you enough to tell you this that actions speak louder than words. Anybody can say it, but faith without works is dead. It'd be like if I put a chair right here in the room and I look at you and I say, hey, I believe that this chair could hold my weight, but I will never sit in it. You'd be like, what? I don't know, man. I just don't want to sit in it. But do you believe? Do you have faith in the chair? I do. I know it could hold my weight. I just don't want to sit in it. But so you like don't have faith. No, I do. I absolutely know it could hold my weight, but I'll never sit in it. And James is saying, that's not faith. You're claiming something that you're not actually living out. Faith is not just belief that God exists. Faith is believing that God exists and responding to him in obedience by loving God and loving others. Primarily, those are the greatest two commandments. So here's the deal. Does faith alone save you? Yes, it does. Faith in God by his grace saves you. That is true. But James might come along and say something like this. Faith alone saved you, but faith that is alone shouldn't be used to describe the saved you. Faith alone saved you, but a faith that is alone shouldn't describe a saved you. Remember, he's writing to those who are claiming, we believe in Jesus, we follow Jesus, we follow the way, we are Christians. And James is observing their life and saying, but guys, you're saying that in word only and there's zero evidence that you actually mean this. And James is saying, yes, faith alone by God's grace alone, that is salvation, but a faith that is alone shouldn't be used to describe a saved person. This is his whole argument. That if we claim faith in God, that people should be able to look at our lives and say, yep, I see that. Man, I see that. Look at the fruit. Look at the way they love people. Look at the way they serve people. Look at how they take care of others. Look at how they respond to the Spirit. Look at how they're humbling themselves before the Lord. Look how they're submitting to the Scripture. Look at how they're responding, not earning, not earning, not earning. Look at how they're responding to the salvation they've received through their faith in God. James is not teaching works save you. He's teaching works flow from a saved you. Does that make sense? Faith alone saved you, but a faith that is alone shouldn't describe a saved you. Because faith without works is a dead faith. So James is stirring us up, stirring me up, stirring you up to say, man, 
God loves you so much. God loves you so much. And if you have faith in God, we respond to God's love by loving him in return and loving others around us. And that is how faith gets fleshed out in our lives. We take care of others. We love others. We respond to God's goodness. We respond to the spirit. When he convicts us of sin, we repent. When we see someone in need, we serve. James is saying faith leads to a lifestyle that responds to the, the grace that saved you. Yes, God. Okay, I'll stop now. Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, thank you so much. We love you. We're humbled by your word. We're challenged by your word. Jesus, my prayer is that you would provoke our hearts, that you would stir us up. If we have a sleepy faith, wake us up. If we have a lazy faith, work us up. If we have a dead faith, bring life to it. Father, may it be said of no one in here that they claim faith in God and yet don't have any life that resembles the love of God in them or the love of people around them. May it be true of every single person who says, I believe in Jesus, that there'd be fruit in their life, that there'd be evidence of their faith in God, that their love for God would be abundant, that their love for others would be abundant, that we could look at them and say, man, they know God because of how they live that faith out. Not earning favor, not earning salvation, but responding to the grace we've been given responding to the love we've been shown because we are so overwhelmed with gratitude and awe and love for you, Father. Only a work of your spirit can produce this in us. Not how good the sermon is, not one word I say, but the work of your spirit stirring us up. And so I pray that he would work and move in this room tonight. Stir us up to love and works that flow out of our faith. Help us move our faith beyond just belief that God exists to believing that God exists and that a loving heavenly father has been so good to us that we respond to our salvation with gratitude and love and service. Father, we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.